We're going to continue our series today <clears throat> on preparing an on-ramp for God. But before I do so, I'd like to comment on the fact that this is the 50th anniversary of the Selma Walk. And this began the formalization of what we know as the Civil Rights Movement. It started before, but the civil disobedience that really sparked the nation uh, began there. And as a result of that, you can draw a direct line to our unity. The Commonwealth of Virginia is a wonderful state, but it is in the South. The seat of the Confederacy is one, 100 miles just down 95. And the fact that I am a black pastor and there are hundreds of white people that call me theirs is miraculous. And I never want to take that for granted. The people bled for this, what we have today. Folks died for what we have today. And aside from their sacrifice, though it be significant in ways we cannot measure, what we still have today is not on every street corner. So God has done something miraculous among us, supernatural. That we have a stage is filled with Asians and white folks and black folks and Latinos that are singing songs that don't relate to how you grew up or what you did church like. We made these songs up. We're doing stuff that, that's unconventional and there's nothing about what we do that is normal with respect to church. And it makes it a little bit difficult that we intentionally bring in people of different backgrounds and try to make us one. It's easier to work with people who look like me and eat like me and like what I like. That's easy. But it's really hard to cross barriers. And then not just do so to visit, but to live with folk. Because then you've got to adopt some things that you normally would not have, and they in you. But you bring value to one another that you would never have otherwise. And I can't help but thank all the people and my God who have allowed us to get to here because what we have is special. Turn with me over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We're going to continue our series, as I said, on preparing an on-ramp for God. And today the title is Making Room. Making Room. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 through 17. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. It says, Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. Verse 9. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be that when he comes to us that he can turn in there. Verse 11. And one day he came. He came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Verse 13. He said to him, Now say to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with, with all this care. 
what can I do for you? Would you be spoken of, spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. Verse 15, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my, my Lord, O oh, oh man of God, don't lie to your maidservant. Verse 17, and the woman conceived and bore a son in that season, the next year, as Elisha had said to her. Lord, help us as we study. Four things about which I'd like to concentrate here. One, making sure that we perceive his presence. Two, making sure that we're persistent in trying to get him to stay, that we use persuasion. Three, that we intentionally prepare a room. We build permanence for his presence. And then four, that God does something with prayers that have previously been prayed but unanswered as a result of what we did. This woman was, was pretty phenomenal. It says that she had prominence. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but it does mean that, that she, did, she had standing. She was a noble woman, and she probably had significant means, resources. We don't know whether she came by them through marriage or whether she did it through her own ingenuity. Maybe she was like a Proverbs 31 woman. However she came by what she came by, she had some means to disperse. And she recognized that this prophet Elisha seemed to be passing by regularly. That we don't know exactly where Elisha was going, whether he was coming from or going to, but this seemed to be a place that he would go by. And as Elisha was going by, the woman inquired that he might stay. Now, Elisha happened to be the prophet of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom happened to represent Israel. That was the proper name of it. There was a southern kingdom that was also Israel, but it was called Judah. These two kingdoms made up the entire nation. But they separated after Solomon was king. His son, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, made some really poor decisions that split the nation. And ten tribes went to the north and established what we now know as the northern kingdom called Israel. Two tribes stayed in the south, Judah and Levi. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and Levi stayed because the temple was in Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Judah. But the northern kingdom had issues. They never had one good king. The best king they had was Jehu, and he just wasn't bad. <laughs> wasn't good, he just wasn't bad. Everybody else was horrible, horrible. The worst of which was Ahab. And Ahab happened to have a son named Jehoram, and Jehoram was now in power. And Elisha was the protege of Elijah. And Elijah training Elisha, they both kind of had the same ministry. Very similar in their, their work and deeds and words. Elijah dealt with Jehoram's daddy named Ahab. And there is nothing good you could ever say about Ahab. He was the worst of the kings. He, he set the mold for all the other kings. His son wasn't much better. He wasn't as bad because it says in chapter 3 of 2 Kings that Jehoram, though he was the son of Ahab, 
He took away all the Baal idols, but he continued in the idolatry of Jeroboam, and Jeroboam happened to be the first king of Israel, of the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam set up a system whereby nobody needed to go to the south to worship because that's where the temple was. And he didn't want people to leave his northern kingdom to go join the southern kingdom, and so he set up his own idolatrous system in the northern kingdom. It says that Jehoram followed after Jeroboam. So, even though Jehoram wasn't as bad as his daddy, that ain't saying nothing. Daddy was horrible. So this was Elisha's ministry, to minister to the northern kingdom. And he would pass by this one little spot, and this woman recognized him. Now, I imagine he passed by a lot of spots, but this is the only place in Scripture where it says somebody recognized. God comes and passes by but do you recognize? Do you notice that his presence just went, whew? did you feel the wind? Did you recognize anything different about that particular moment? Lots of folks don't even recognize. And then there are some who recognize but don't care. I'm not being accusatory. That was me for 20 years. We'd have to go to church, mama would drag us, and we'd go to Sunday school and church, and I would say this, do we have to do both? We got to go to Sunday school and church? Can't we do like one or the other, because aren't both of them doing the same thing? I was doing everything I could to try to get out of it. God's presence was there, but I didn't care. Here is a moment for us to, to, to know when God passes by, this is how you respond. You recognize, and when you recognize, you respond in a desirous way, and you say, Lord, don't keep going yet. I know you're busy, and you got some opportunities over there, but I need to talk to you now. I want to create an environment where you are as welcome here as you would be wherever you're going. And sometimes you got to ask God to stay. Oh, it's not that he doesn't want to hang with you. It's that he desires to be invited. Nobody just wants to show up and feel like, well, they accepted me. You want to receive an invitation and God is no different. And everything about what we do as a church is about cre creating an environment where he is invited and welcomed. Preaching can be done any place. Singing songs can be done any place. But it takes an unusual mix of good theology combined with relationship and integrity that works the Bible as best as you know how, that does the hard thing intentionally, doesn't take the easy road, that allows people to walk into a congregation without a word yet being preached nor a song sung, and yet they walk in and they smell something and they say, uh-oh, I don't know how to describe it, but something's different here. Something's different here. Now, we may not be that to you, but we are to some. And I beg you, if we aren't that to you, find that place. If we are, do more than just visit. I love that you're here. Thank you for coming. I realize you, you, you think it's the, it's the 1130. <laughs> this is the last service we have today. It's daylight saving time and we had to push it up. So I know you, yeah. 
I love that you're here, but I beg you, step it up, because God just doesn't want to be visited, nor, that, nor does he just want to visit you. This woman recognized, oh, I perceive this, this, is, this is something special here. Could I, could I ask you to come and dine? She used persuasion. In fact, it says, the scripture says, she persuaded him to come and dine. And, and the word there in the Hebrew means with strong speech. So it wasn't just an invitation. Elisha had some place to go. And he was on his way. But it was, it was one of these, not just come and eat, but, but well, let me explain it like this. When I was growing up, I had a bunch of friends, and when I'd go over to eat at one of their houses, their mama would really cook well. And they'd fill the plate with food, and I'd eat it up, and it was tasty. And then the mama would say, well, would you like some more? No, ma'am, I'm good. Boy, come on now, you need a little bit more. Here, let, let me put some more on your plate. Let me, no, I'm good. You need some more. Yes, ma'am, I need some more. I didn't know I needed more, but I need more. And I didn't know what I was saying when I was saying I didn't mean more, but in, what she was thinking is you didn't like the first, so you don't want the second. I was full. That's what I was saying. I was a little guy. I didn't eat a lot. And don't leave any food on the plate once it's there because you're saying you don't like it. So I was up to here with food because mama was persuasive. This is the kind of persuasion this woman began to enforce with Elisha. Would you like to come to eat? I, I, got, I just killed a lamb. And, and, and my, my servants are cooking it right now. I've got it prepared. We've got some other stuff. I've got bread in the oven. You, you sure you don't want to eat? Now, I really, well, listen, we've got a table set for you right here. I'm, I want you, I got some food for you. When you go eat, you're going to have to eat sometime. That kind of persuasion was used. Because Elisha had some place to go. And God is always busy. He's got stuff to do. But he is willing to take time out of his busy schedule for anybody who is persuasive. <laughs> Genesis 18. God comes down to view what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And literally it says he came down to see if what had been told him by everybody else was true. And it says these three beings began to walk, and they walked right by Abraham's tent. And Abraham saw, oh, the Lord going someplace. Mm. Hey, God, can we have coffee? I got some, I got some, I got some, I, I just brewed some for you here. Would you come by and sit down and have some, have a cup of, cup, cup of coffee with me? Well, I'm glad, yeah, I know, but, but, but just hang with me for a minute. God was going to Sodom, had some business to conduct, decided to stop off with Abram and not just get coffee. Once they got there, Abram said, listen, I got to go kill a lamb and stuff, and then we'll have a dinner. It, do you know how long it takes to kill a lamb, prepare a lamb, cook a lamb? <laughs> Hours. Do you have it like that with God? Can you interrupt his schedule because he wants to hang with you? Are you that persuasive with your obedience, with your heart attitude, with wanting to see him glorified, with trying to prepare something for him, not just trying to get something for, from him? Do you have it like that? This woman did. And the beauty, beauty of this moment is that we do not hear her asking for a thing. 
All she was trying to do is make sure God was comfortable. Just make sure God was comfortable. So she persuades him. He sits down and he eats. Now he's coming by and now this has become a rest stop. He's heading down 95 to Miami and he's got his little spot in Savannah. Every time he drops by, he's right there. He's going to get something to eat at this nice little spot he's got. It's it's planned every time he goes. And then the woman says this. You know, I perceive this is a holy man of God that keeps coming by here. And he enjoys my food, and I'm glad for it. But I'm wondering if we we could step up our commitment to him. We're providing, and we recognize, and we're inviting. It's good, but... Maybe, you, maybe we could encourage him to stay longer. So, husband, I'd like for us to consider to build a little room on top of the house and, 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 and put a bed in there and go out and buy some furniture and make it real nice and comfy for him. You okay with that? Sure, baby, do what you want to do. I don't know if you've ever priced out an addition to your home. Mm-hmm. After you finish with all the permits... And all the subcontractors who are being contracted by the contractor, and, and want, it's a, it's a $40,000, $50,000 ordeal for a 20 by 15 room. Yes, it is. Now, maybe they didn't have any permits, and so let's cut it in half to 20. That's still a lot of money. $20,000 to build a room for somebody else who's only going to sleep in it probably six times a year. Nobody else going to use that room. That's Elijah, Elisha's room. Do you expense God like that? Are you like the woman who had the alabaster jar of perfume that was worth an entire year's salary? Take your, take your annual salary. That's what this was worth. And she broke open the vial and poured it on the feet of Christ. Can you expense God like that? Can you disperse resources on him like that? Oh, I'm not talking about amount. I'm talking about sacrifice. Whatever sacrifice means to you, do you do that for him? Now I'm laying out this case. Because when you do, some, when you do stuff like this, he does unusual stuff for you. Doesn't mean he loves you anymore. He just loves you different. I want to be loved different like this. I want to build a little room for him. So they build this little room. And Elisha comes by and, and he's sitting there eating. Now we don't have the story. I'm making this part up. <laughs> sitting there eating, dining, getting ready to get, get up and get out. And he's realizing I got my place to stay someplace down at the Holiday Inn down the street. And, and she says, oh, uh, Pastor, I've, I've, I, would you like to stay here? Well, where? I, I, we built a room for you upstairs. You You what? Yes, sir, we built a room for you. We realize that God's with you in a mar- marvelous way, and all we wanted to do is provide for you so that you could have a, a restful spot and, 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 and find some degree of solitude with your creator. So can I show you up to your room? He walks upstairs. He sees his room beautifully decorated by whoever your favorite de- decorator is. <laughs> Donna Karen, I don't know, whoever it is. Beautifully. Mrs. Green down here who is an interior decorator. Beautifully decorated. And 
he is so impressed that he says to his servant, what can be done for this woman? Now, I'm asking God all the time, will you do for me? I have a long list of things I need done, starting with my building over here. Help me finish that, oh my God. My kids, Lord, help my kids to be right and not be stupid. <laughs> help them, Lord, help them. Help them to make great decisions. Help them to get, help my life to be a springboard to their progress. Let them be great every day. And I'm inspiring them. I call them great. Tell them I love them. You're fabulous. You're wonderful. You're doing great. I just encourage them all day long. I'm trying to participate in being the voice of God to my kids. I have needs financially. I have needs physically. I have needs relationally. There are so a laundry list of needs I'm asking God for. But it's rare when God comes to a person and says, can I do something for you? Can I do something for you? It only happens a couple of times in Scripture, only a couple of times, where God just volunteers to do for you. With David, David said, Lord, I want to build you a house. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I want to build you a house. It's not proper. I live in a palace. I'm a king, and the the ark of God is in a tent. You need some place that's appropriate for your presence. I'm going to build you a glorious house. God says, eh, Uh, You're not the guy to do it, but I am impressed because nobody has ever even asked me. When he says, have I asked for a place from now till then? What he's saying is this, nobody's asked me either. And because you were the first one to do so, though you can't build my house, I'm going to build yours. And you will never cease to have a man that sits on the throne that goes after your name. David just said, how'd I wind up here? I didn't even ask for that. I I didn't even dream to ask for that. I don't even know what that means, but it's good. It's really good. Really, really good. Oh, God, you're amazing. And here this woman built a little spot for the prophet, making room for God to be in her midst. And the Lord says, what can I do for you? Now it gets better. After she builds a permanent spot and the Lord says, what can I do for you? She says this. Let me back up. He says, what can I do for you? And he says, should I talk to the king or to the captain of the army for your benefit? And she says, "Hmm, no, I'm good. (laughs) You got it like that? You got it like that. I mean, if somebody were to give a significant amount, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about sacrifice. A mother of three making $30,000 a year, trying to figure out how to make it go, and she gives $100 to the building. I would love to be able to say, is there anything I can do for you? Can I call President Obama on your behalf? Can I do that for you? And if she were to say, I'm good, I think, what do you have I don't know? What do you mean you good? Uh, She, this woman had it like that. Can can I do something for you of supreme significance? She said, I'm fine. Now, it's interesting to note, and this is side comment, but it, it, it helps to round out the passage. 
Elisha was a righteous prophet ministering in an unrighteous kingdom to a, to a primarily wicked king. There were people in the kingdom that probably were right, but the king was a mess. So he didn't have real favor. So where did the favor about which he was offering to, to the Shunammite woman come from? Well, if you look in the previous chapter, it says that, that uh, Moab, who was a kingdom that was contrary to Israel, had rebelled against Israel. And Israel was going to, to fight against Moab. And the, the king of Israel, Jehoram, called to the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and said, would you please help me go to war against Moab? Jehoshaphat wanted to be in unity because he, he realized his lineage with his brothers to the north, said, yes, we can finally do something together. And then they call Edom and say, would you please help us? And Edom says, yes. And so three kingdoms go to war against Moab. And they start marshalling their forces and finding the battle place that would be most conducive to their victory. But it takes them seven days to find the right spot. And in doing so, they run out of water. And as they are finding the spot, they can't find any natural water. So the provision that they have brought is gone, and they have run into spots where it's completely desolate. Seven days they've been out there. They've got a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep, a lot of horses, and thousands upon thousands of men, tens of thousands of men. None of them have water. And it's too far to walk home. People are going to die. They're in trouble. Jehoshaphat says to Jehoram, do you have a prophet among you? Jehoram says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elisha. Jehoshaphat, a godly man, good king, says, oh, I've heard about that guy. He's amazing. Bring him. The word of the Lord is with him. Elisha shows up. He says, <laughs> Jehoram, I'm here out of, out of simple obligation." And really, the only reason I'm here is because of Jehoshaphat. If he weren't here, I wouldn't give you the time of day. That's how he starts off his hello. <laughs> he does not like Jehoram. But he says this, because of Jehoshaphat, have your men dig some trenches in this valley. And by morning, water will flow into them. So as men take out their shovels, they begin to dig trenches. I imagine all the men are saying, what in the world are we doing? This is a crazy thing. We're trying to war and we're out here digging ditches. Are you kidding me? They're digging ditches. In the morning, water flowed. Everybody, enough water to water thousands of animals, tens of thousands of men. Everybody was provisioned. And now they had the strength to go in war. They won the battle. So although Elisha was on the outs with Jehoram, Elisha saved the entire nation. Just last week. And so now he's, he is the man. That's how he can say to the Shunammite, can I help you? Because I got some juice right now. <laughs> I got some serious pull right now, baby. Anything you need, I can make it happen. And when you have that kind of pull and somebody is provisioned well enough whereby they say, I'm good. I don't know that I have ever, when God come, came to me and said, can I help you? I said, no. I don't know that I've ever said no. But the beauty is this. This woman wasn't looking for anything from God. All she wanted to do is give to him, provide for him, and get this. I mean, it's obvious, but it needs to be said. She says no. God says, 
I'm going to figure out some other way to bless you. (laughs) See, this is what it means. When you obey God, Deuteronomy 28 says, the blessings of God will come upon you and you can't outrun them. Come upon you and overtake you. They will seek you out like a radar laser driven missile. You cannot get away from them. This woman was trying to run from the blessing. She said, I don't need that. And God kept pursuing her. When you make room for him, he'll keep pursuing you. He'll find an area of need that you have long since forgot about. You prayed it years, decades ago. But you've given up now because it's just too late. He'll find it if you provide for him. Well, she doesn't want that. What does she need, Gehazi? Well, she doesn't have a son. Ah. Now, we don't know whether she didn't have any children. It says she didn't have a son. And having a son was really important because if you had a son, you had an heir. It's not that women couldn't inherit. It's that generally they didn't because if a woman took the resources from the father and she got married, she took those resources into another family. And everything about the promised land was about inheritance and property in a certain spot. Different tribes had different spots. And that piece of property was to stay within that tribe, which meant it was to stay within the family name. So inheritance was all about the man who carried the family name. It wasn't despising women. It was just the proper dispensation of resources so that the inheritance could stay within the bounds that God had created. That's all it was about. She didn't have a son. Now, she may have had daughters, but we don't know. It doesn't say. And so when God thinks about blessing you, he's thinking about your kids too. He's thinking generationally. He's not thinking about it just stopping now. He wants whatever he does to continue. This time next year, you're going to have a son. Now, we know this, that, she, that the infertility problem that they had was not her because it doesn't say anything about her being old or barren. It does say that her husband was advanced. So, wives, I have good news for you, <laughs> that if the problem is your husband, there's hope. But she was so into living where she was that she said to Elisha, don't lie to me. I've learned to live in mediocrity with my husband. Don't build my expectations that somehow he's going to change. (laughs) Oh, God, don't tease me. It's not that she didn't want it. She just thought the prophet was trying to be nice not prophetic. Don't say something if it's not going to happen. Please, I beg you. He said, you're going to have a baby this time next year. And sure enough, she had one. You know, she had prayed that prayer long ago and now realized her husband was old and advanced in years beyond the age of procreation. And God did a miracle. We're not talking about the kind of miracle like Mary where there was no man. We're talking about making a man what he was not so he could be and do what he needed to do God did a miracle and all of a sudden she had an heir when you 
when you decide to build something for God, he does the unusual for you. He'll go beyond your request. He'll answer the deepest desires of your soul. Doesn't mean he loves you anymore. It simply means that the intersections that you were supposed to come in contact with at a certain point now get accelerated so that you meet them quicker. Are you listening to me? It's like you're on those, uh, those, those conveyor belts at Dulles. You can walk to your gate, but when you get on a conveyor belt, you walk, but the conveyor belt is making you move faster. You're going at the same pace, but the conveyor belt is moving you at a different pace. When you get in the middle of the will of God, all you got to do is walk at your normal pace. He brings you to your intersection quicker. The intersection of your provision happens faster. Everything gets accelerated. And sometimes he recreates that which would not have happened because he wants to do something special for you. Build something for him. And he will meet you in, in amazing and supernatural ways. But, but there's going to have to be some unusual commitment on your part. You can't just do the normal thing. You're going to have to do the extra normal thing and then he will do the supernatural thing let's pray father thank you for helping us to build an on-ramp for you to do something special inspire us and help us to believe that we can meet you at the intersections of your provision in such a way that you wow us